the ant and the honeycomb. The ant highway with energy loss problem. An ant starts at the center of an image. There are four highways headed north, south, east, and west. The ant only has enough energy to walk for 10 meters on the highway before it expires. If it heads off the highway, things are even worse. The energy expenditure increases the further it is from a highway to a factor of 1 plus 0.4d, where the d is the distance in meters from the nearest highway. For example, if it is one meter from the highway, it uses 1.4 times the energy to walk one meter. What is the area in square meters of the set of points the ant can reach before expiring? The honeycomb. Gracious words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. I'm Stephen Thompson. I'm a storyteller, a historian, an educator, a husband, and a father, and a compassionate servant leader who is curious. Today, I want to have a conversation with you about the best that is in you, but also I want to recognize the best that is in others as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can do both, and we can do both. We will see the best in us all the time. Who is this show for? Who is the Stephen Thompson experience for? Well, it is for people who want to be encouraged and it is also for people who want to be healed. And in order to be healed, there probably was something that caused you pain. And I want to talk about pain. It is okay to talk about pain because pain happens to all of us. Tragic things happen to all of us and we need to talk about those things. Not run from them, not hide from them. Because if we do, we won't move forward in a positive way. So what I'm asking you today is this simple question. Are you a honeycomb or are you an ant? Which problem is easier to solve? Can you be a honeycomb or you can, can you be an ant on the highway with energy loss? Which one is easier to be on a daily basis? Where did our love go? Where did our love go? We're looking at the Supremes. And the music of the Supremes, this go-around of the Stephen Thompson experience. And Where Did Our Love Go is a 1964 song recorded by the Supremes. It was also recorded by the main production team at Motown of Holland, Dozier, and Holland. And Where Did Our Love Go was the first Supremes single to go to number one. Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1964 from August 16th to August 29th. And it was the first of five Supreme songs in a row to reach number one. The others were Baby Love, Come See About Me, Stop in the Name of Love, and Back in My Arms Again. This version of the Supremes is ranked number 475 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Hits of All Time. Where did our love go? Where did our love go? Ask yourself that question. Where did our love go? Where did your love go? Do you have love? Think about that for a second. Think about the honeycomb. Let's look at the lyrics. Where did our love go? This stands out to me. Baby, baby, don't leave me. Oh, please don't leave me all by myself. I've got this burning, burning, yearning feeling inside me. Oh, deep inside me and it hurts so bad. You came into my heart so tenderly with a burning love that stings like a bee. Now I surrender that. I surrender so helplessly. You now want to leave. You want to leave me. Baby, where did our love go? Don't you want me? Don't you want me no more? Baby, baby, where did our love go? And all of your promises of a love forevermore. 
Where did our love go? Our love that they described that stung like a bee, like a honeycomb, like something positive in your life. But then it disappeared. Where did it go? Where does our love go in a society today? Where does it go? Where do we look for love? Where do we get love? Or is it easy to keep love? And what are the consequences of not choosing to love? Making the decision to take your love away from a person or maybe not even to move forward in the world from a place of love. There are consequences to not moving forward in a place full of love. But I'm going to argue that you can be a honeycomb. And it's easier to be a honeycomb than it is to solve a calculus problem. And which one do you want to choose? There are a small percentage of people who can solve high-end calculus problems like the ant on the highway, but then there's love and being a honeycomb. Biddy Mason. Biddy Mason was an African-American woman, and she was a slave, and she was a midwife. And she petitioned a court for her freedom. And after that, Biddy Mason became a wealthy Los Angeles landowner and philanthropist. And as Los Angeles grew, the property that she had became prime urban lots. And before she died in the 1800s, her fortune grew several hundred thousand dollars. And that prime real estate that Biddy Mason had today is worth hundreds of millions, near billions of dollars. And Biddy Mason was named Bridget when she was born. And she was born a slave August of 1818 on a plantation in Georgia. As a child, she was separated from her parents. She was sold several times working on plantations in Georgia, Mississippi, South Carolina. And she spent much of her childhood working on a plantation in South Carolina. When she was 18 the slave owner gave Biddy to his cousins as a wedding present. That was their wedding present. Here is a slave for you for your wedding present. Now at the time, Biddy didn't have any formal education at all. She learned about midwifery and herbal medicines for other slave women, and then she grew and became a great midwife. And then while she was working for the Smiths, she gave birth to three daughters. Three daughters' names were Ellen, Anne, and Harriet. Supposedly the father was Mr. Smith, who was married. So, Mr. Smith, obviously not caring about his marriage vows, fathered three children by a slave woman. So, the Smiths decide to move to Utah. And they converted to Mormonism. And Mr. Smith moved his family and his slaves 
90 in all, from Mississippi to Utah. On this journey was 2,000 miles. And on this 2,000 mile journey, it was Biddy's job to herd cattle, prepare meals, and act as a midwife for women and the livestock. She also had her three daughters as well, and she walked behind the wagon train for seven months as they moved from Salt Lake City to Utah, where the Mormon leaders established a several settlement. And several children were born as slaves and also to white women during the trip, and Mason helped deliver them. Now, the slaves didn't take their husbands a lot of times it was other men who were fathering children with the slaves and they were fathering children with their own wives and along the way they were going to start their own religion now there are some internal contradictions in that but we can get to that later so a church leader brigham young sent a group of Mormons to San Bernardino, California to make another Cree community. And Mr. Smith decided to go there. Now, Young told Smith again to free Biddy and his slaves before going to California, but he refused. So again, Biddy and the other slaves walked behind the wagons through the mountains and the deserts to San Bernardino. But Smith didn't know at the time, because we don't have internet, we don't have newspapers, we don't have television, so Smith did not know that California was a free state, and it had been admitted as a free state in 1850. So the law said any slave who walked into that country was automatically free. Now, there was a man named Charles Owens, and in California who was trying to date Biddy's daughter. And he said, hey, look, you guys are free. You're California. This is a free state. And told Biddy how she could gain her freedom. Now, move forward. There was a stronger anti-slavery sentiment growing in California. And Smith decided he wanted to move his family and the slaves to Texas because it was a slave state. He wanted to settle there or he wanted to sell his slaves and make a profit. Now, this journey was delayed because his wife was about to give birth to another child. And his group camped out in the Santa Monica Mountains and waited for the birth of the child. Along this time, a man named Robert Owens was the father of Charles Owens. And Charles Owens was the man who was dating Biddy Mason's daughter. He was a successful businessman, and he persuaded the sheriff to stop Smith from taking the slaves out of the state. The sheriff kept Smith and the slaves in the county jail for protection until their legal status could be determined. Robert Owens then filed a petition claiming that Smith was holding the slaves illegally in his state. Smith didn't come to court. He claimed they were not slaves but members of his family. That's what he started claiming. These were his family members and they weren't slaves. Now you don't 
interesting definition of family. You don't make your family, you don't sexually assault your family. You don't force your family members to walk behind a wagon train. You don't force the women in your family, if you're taking care of them, to herd cattle. You don't cheat on your wife and you don't claim to be a religious man if that's your family members. But this is what he, you don't try to sell your family members for a profit in another state. So this is an argument that Mr. Smith was making, and we make these types of arguments today all the time, where we want to treat people like commodities to benefit ourselves financially. Now, at the time, there was legal counsel that was provided for the slaves, and it was financed by the Los Angeles black community. Now, at the time, in California, black people couldn't testify in court. So Biddy couldn't speak on her own behalf. So she had to meet with a judge privately to tell her own story. So on January 21st, 1856, a Los Angeles County District Judge by the name of Benjamin Hayes granted her petition and gave her freedom, gave Biddy freedom, as well as she he freed all the other slaves held captive by Smith. And her three daughters, Biddy's three daughters, and ten other African-American women and children who had been held slaves as slaves by Robert Smith during their four-year stay in California. All of them were released. Now, Biddy had no last name as a slave. So, after she was emancipated and freed, she picked a last name. Mason. And why did she pick that last name, Mason? Because it was the middle name of Amasa Lyman, an apostle and mayor of San Bernardino. She had spent many years in the company of Amasa Lyman in the household. And so she used his middle name as her last name. Now, what happened after this is Biddy moved to Los Angeles. And she accepted an invitation to live with Robert Owens and his family. Her daughter married Charles Owens. And then Biddy began to work as a nurse and a midwife for a doctor, a Los Angeles physician who had heard about her court case. Biddy then excelled as a nurse and a midwife, and she assisted in the births of hundreds of births, mothers of all races and all social classes, and she gained a reputation for her herbal remedies. Now, at that time, Biddy earned $2.50 a day, which was a great wage for an African-American woman at the time. She also was very generous, and she gave her services to a lot of other women who couldn't pay. She saved her money, and she became financially independent. So after 10 years, Biddy had saved up a sum of money that allowed her to buy plots of land. And she became the first African-American woman to own property in Los Angeles. And she built a house, which she occupied until she died. Now, she initially used her land for gardening, and she built some small houses to rent out for other income. She continued to rent accommodations for the next 18 to 20 years. When she was 60, 66 years old, she sold a part of that land and built a commercial building on another part of land, she rented out those lands on the ground floor and lived with her family on the second floor. 
Over the years, the ex she was an ex-slave, she accumulated more and more real estate in Los Angeles as the town developed around her. Most of her investments became prime urban real estate and formed the basis of her considerable wealth. 1872, Biddy and her son-in-law Charles found and financed the first African-American Episcopal Church, the city's first black church, and she donated the land on which the church was built. The neighborhood continued to develop, and this area became the main financial district of Los Angeles, and it was only one block from Mason's property. And she continued to invest, and she became the wealthiest African-American woman in Los Angeles by the 1880s, the late 1880s. She also learned fluent Spanish, and she became a well-known figure. Also, she would dine on occasion at the home of Pio Pico, a wealthy Los Angeles landowner. Ultimately, her area became the central commercial district of Los Angeles, and she continued to make more and more wise business decisions. She accumulated a fortune, and she shared that fortune generously with charities. For example, she sheltered poor people, she visited prisoners in jail, she founded a aid center for people who are traveling, an elementary school for African-American children, and a lot of people called her Grandma Mason. Some people also said that she ran an orphanage in her house. Biddy Mason died at the age of 73, and she was buried in Evergreen Cemetery in the Boyle Heights area of Los Angeles. Today, there stands a statue, an 8 by 81 foot memorial wall dedicated to Mason and includes a collage of her original fame house, frame house. And Biddy Mason Park has been established in Los Angeles on South Spring Street. And her grandson, Robert Curry Owens, is a real estate developer and a politician and one of the wealthiest African-Americans in Los Angeles at the time. Where did our love go? Biddy Mason shows that when a person is given the opportunity and the freedom to thrive, look what she did. If you go to anyone today People will tell you real estate is the number one way to make money in the country, the number one way to build wealth. We have schools dedicated to real estate. You can get a real estate license. You have to pass tests. But look at what Biddy Mason did. She was a slave. She walked behind a wagon train. She was sexually assaulted to the point of giving three birth to three children of a slave owner who didn't care enough of her to even let her sit in a wagon train as they crossed the country. But yet she overcame all of that and became one of the wealthiest women in Los Angeles. You see, people have talents, gifts, and abilities. You can be a honeycomb and you can bring that out of people. There are honeycombs inside of people. The ant. The ant or the honeycomb. Where did our love go? Where did our love go? I want to ask you that. Where did our love go? You know what? There are 10 benefits 
to eating honeycombs. I'll give you a couple of them. I'll run down the list. Indian researcher says that a benefit of eating honeycomb can treat gum disease. A U.S. patent study says that a honeycomb is good for treating chronic and acute bronchitis. A University of California Davis study says that honeycombs are a good antioxidant that help your immune system. A Turkish scientist says that honeycombs can benefit you and help you with your allergies. A Saudi Arabian scientist says that honeycombs can treat diarrhea. A medical doctor named Dr. Ron Fessenden says that raw honeycombs can help you promote better sleep. A study done in Livestrong says that honeycombs can help manage type 2 diabetes. An article in Runner's World says that athletes eating honeycombs will increase their energy. And a San Diego State University research study says that honeycombs can help you with obesity and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, a Cuban experiment, showed that eating honeycombs can help treat that. Definition of a honeycomb. They're hexagonal cells of wax made by bees to store honey and eggs. Inside of us is honey. Inside of Biddy Mason was honey. And once she was freed. Look what she accomplished. So, challenge for you today. What is it easier to do? Is it easier to say something nice to someone that will allow them to thrive and flourish? Or can you say something mean to somebody, nasty to somebody, assault them, Force them to do degrading work. Assault them with your speech, with your behavior. Is that profitable? Is that profitable? Do you, do you think that insulting people is beneficial? Well, if you do, bring me the study. Bring me the study that says calling somebody names increases their productivity from a science perspective, not from a perspective of, well, I'm a tough guy and we need to be strong and we need to be aggressive. No, 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 no. Let's talk about the science. Let's talk about the data. Bring me the data that says treating people poorly increases their ability to perform. Then go out and live that way and bring me the results. If you have results from that, I, I will, we'll, we'll look at it together and talk about it. But I want to move forward in this way. Look at the proverb. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Look at Biddy Mason. When she was freed up to be her very best, wealthiest woman in Los Angeles, real estate investment, Delivering babies, herbal medicines, no formal education. Let that sit for a minute. No formal education. So don't tell me today that we need to have expensive textbooks, that we need to have access to curriculum companies, that we need to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to get somebody to pass a test. I give you Biddy Mason as proof that it can be done, if we free people to be the best people that we can be, I have data, raw data, 
I live in Los Angeles. We can go downtown to see where Biddy Mason's memorial wall is. That is truth. That this woman learned how to sell real estate. She invested in real estate. And she was successful. What barriers do you put up to people's success? You got to ask yourself that question. Is my process a barrier to success? Or is my process freeing people to do their very best work? And a lot of times I see in organizations, processes and systems are designed to enrich the person who designed them and not to enrich the people who are doing the work. And if you do let people do their best work, you've got million dollar real estate deals being done. You see, when Biddy Mason was a slave, hindered from doing her best work, where were the real estate deals? She did not do them because she wasn't freed. Do you think a slave owner who, dis who disregarded Biddy Mason's experience, talent, and ability or potential, giving her the opportunity to do what she did best? He didn't. He never would have. Now, we don't have slavery today, but we do have those mechanisms today. We have people out there in organizations who look at people who have talent and ability and skill, and we won't, for some reason, let them be free to do their very best work. Shame on you. Shame on you. I'll say it. Shame on you. We need to be honeycombs to people. We need to be saying gracious words to people to let them bring out the best in them. Where did our love go? Where did it go? Why is it easier to be mean to people? You see, let's go back to our calculus problem. Being nice to people is not as hard as a calculus problem. It's really simple to go out and say something nice to someone. You do not have a moral obligation to be mean to people. You don't. You don't. You don't have to study for years. Get a PhD to be nice to people. But look at the benefits you're missing out on. If you choose, I'm going to tell you this, if you choose to be mean, to be nasty, to, to say somebody's just politically correct, say they're a snowflake, the science doesn't back you. The science doesn't back you at all. There are plenty of studies, medical studies out there. Go look them up. It talks about the, the negative influences on our brain. When we use negativity, when we speak negatively to people, we hurt our prefrontal cortex, our amygdala, hippocampus. They're documented. Neuroscience supports being nice to people. Neuroscience doesn't support negativity. Now, if there's a study out there that says, you know, neuroscience supports negativity, if you put a person in a room and you curse at them and you yell at them and you call them negative things, and then that person turns around and goes out and does great things over an extended period of time, they may do it for a short period of time, but they will resent you and they will come back and they will get rid of you. So, let's be a honeycomb. Where did our love go? Bring the love back. Decide that you're going to be a honeycomb in your workplace, in your life. Be a honeycomb and allow people to be their very best. This is Stephen Thompson, and thank you 
for being a part of my experience. I'm one man. I'm working on a podcast out of my home in Los Angeles, California. And guess what? You can help me by subscribing to the show and also i have a new patreon page helps out with the expenses of the show it has some bonus content that i think you would enjoy now this show that i'm doing right now is always going to be free but i believe that it'll be worth it to buy this bonus content and thank you for listening and know this you are a child of the creator of the universe you have gifts talents and abilities that are unique to you there are people waiting on you to use them tell yourself the true story that you are valuable you are talented. Then go out and contribute. Somebody's waiting for you to do that. This is Stephen Thompson. Have a great day.